Welcome in, everybody, to episode 196 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday night, as promised. I am coming to you late after the Champions Classic. I'm not going to lie, I have a wild episode for you today. Quick rundown. So we are going to talk Champions Classic, Kentucky beating Michigan State 69-62, Duke beating Kansas 68-66. We'll talk Champions Classic, a couple other news and notes from the opening night, Uh, maybe even touch on Cade Cunningham briefly. Then here's the rest of the show. I actually did an interview with Nate Oates, the new Alabama coach, late last week. I was super fired up to bring it to you. Alabama actually lost on opening night. So Alabama lost to Penn by one point at home. So not the ideal time to run a Nate Oates interview. But what are you going to do? This is life. This is what happens. So we talk Nate Oates and I about the season ahead, why he's actually optimistic about his team going into the year. And I still think that they're going to be pretty good, but a tough way for him to open the season. Uh, His thoughts on Bama LSU this weekend, if he's heard any Tua rumors, all kinds of good stuff with Nate Oates. And again, to be abundantly clear, uh, I recorded with him, unfortunately, before their opener last week. They did lose on Monday or Tuesday night so be patient with me it's the best I can do there's nothing I can do and then I will wrap very quickly talking about the college football games this weekend because let's be honest there is no new episode between now and Saturday so very quickly I'll give you my Bama LSU thoughts I'll give you my Minnesota Penn State thoughts and we'll wrap the show so wild episode and I just want to uh, give you the quick rundown I really just want to let you know about the NATO stuff before um before we got rocking and rolling here. But before we get started, I want to remind everybody, because a lot of new listeners coming in for the Champions Classic, coming in for college basketball, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Some of you listen over on the KSR feed, get over to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast feed. Find me on iTunes. Find me on Podcast Addict. Find me on TuneIn Radio, Podbean, Pod Paradise, Spotify, Wherever you listen to podcasts, this show is available. The Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, talking college hoops from now until the end of April. And we'll honestly be talking even after April. Make sure to also rate, review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you love. If you want to leave a comment, please go ahead and do that. Also, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page, uh, so much good stuff up there over the course of the last couple days, uh, including some quick reaction to Kansas Duke after that one. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, and finally, if you have any questions for the show, as the season goes on, we'll do some mailbags. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I should mention, by the way, good time to ask, as I know a lot of Kentucky fans are tuning in following the Kentucky-Michigan State win. I mentioned this on the last episode. Some of you have already reached out to me. Uh, I'm curious if anyone is going to be in Vegas the week of the Kentucky-Ohio State and the Kentucky-Utah games, the CBS Sports Classic. Uh, I'm thinking about doing a live show there or at the very least a meetup, something fun uh, for listeners to the show. Some of you have reached out. So if you're going to be in Vegas, uh, and no pressure, but if you want to get together, if you want to come hang out, maybe have a couple cold beverages, uh, you know, listen, if, if, it's, if we do a live show, we do a live show. If we don't, that's cool too. But let me know if you're going to be in Vegas that week. I will try to set something up. I'm planning on being there depending. A couple of you, like I said, reached out. Just trying to get a feel for how many of you will be out there. All right, no more nonsense. Let's get into it. Opening night of college basketball. So much good stuff happened. And I guess we should probably start with one versus two. Michigan State, Kentucky. Uh, Michigan State coming off a Final Four run. Cassius Winston, most people's national player of the year, even though I actually have Cole Anthony from North Carolina. And the story, of course, is Tyrese Maxey. And I honestly, I like, I don't know how much else I should say other than that Kentucky had Tyrese Maxey, Michigan State didn't, and that is why Kentucky is 1-0. That is why, assuming that they win this weekend when they return to the court, uh, which I would assume Kentucky is going to against Eastern Kentucky uh, later this week, uh, they'll be number one when we when we get our new poll out because they went to Madison Square Garden 
and beat Michigan State in what wasn't a great game. But as I just said, the difference was one team had Tyrese Maxey and one team didn't. And I know all of you watched the game. But again, it was an unbelievable effort by Tyrese Maxey, freshman from Dallas. He finishes the game, by the way, coming off the bench with 26 points. Uh, and what was so impressive showed off the full offensive arsenal. He had a bunch of runners. He had a bunch of floaters. He hit the a couple deep threes, including one that basically iced the game with a minute to go. The score was, I believe, 62-60, and he nailed a three to basically seal the victory. And so that's the big takeaway from night one of the Champions Classic. That's what everyone's going to be talking about on Wednesday morning when you turn on first take and, and all the shows that are going to be on in the morning. I'll be talking about Tyrese Maxey, 26 points. And he was the X factor for Kentucky. And so, again, I don't really know what to say about Kentucky other than that. Tyrese Maxey's a dog, man. But I'll tell you this. I think this was a best-case scenario for Kentucky. One, you didn't lose. Two, you didn't lose by 30 like you did last year. But three, you won a game against Michigan State, the number one team in the country, a team that, listen, it's early. It's night one. Michigan State's going to be there till the end, man. Michigan State is going to get better as this season goes on, and I have a prediction that this win is going to continue to look better and better and better. And we're going to get to Duke and Kansas in a minute, but what I can definitively tell you is that I'm pretty sure Kansas has problems that probably aren't going to fix themselves over the course of the next month. Whereas you flip it, Michigan State I just think they had a bad night, and I think they're going to play well. I think they're going to beat some good teams. I think this win is going to continue to look great for Kentucky. And so if I'm a Kentucky fan on Tuesday night, I feel great. And you know why I feel great? It's not just because you beat Michigan State. It's not just because you beat the number one team in the country. It's because you beat the number one team in the country in a game that is going to carry weight all year. And I know it sounds stupid to be talking about this stuff on opening night, but we're talking about a scenario. Kentucky's going to be battling for a number one seed. Kentucky is going to be battling for seeding in the NCAA tournament where they can stay close to home. And I'm not promising anything. I'm not guaranteeing anything but let's keep in mind there's a lot of good teams in the um in the NCAA tournament that are going to be battling for similar seating Louisville by the way is going to be a team that's going to be battling for the same things and for the same regionals there's a um you know a regional this year at Indianapolis and so you mean to tell me that um you mean to tell me that whether it's Louisville or Kentucky or whoever, they're not going to be battling to get to that. And so that's why this is so important because you get this win. It carries weight all year. It's going to look great whether it's um, November 6th or March 6th. This win is going to look great. And I'll tell you this, you know what's the best part about it? You did it when you basically had one guy play well, and that's it. Everybody else struggled. Listen, you guys watch the game like I do. You don't need me to tell you, but this was not a vintage virtuoso effort from Kentucky. This isn't one where you sit there and say, wow, we got a great game from Ashton Hagens and EJ Montgomery played his you-know-what off and Emmanuel quickly was hitting from everywhere. No, you know what you're saying? You're saying, wow, Emmanuel quickly struggled even though he was the best player in our exhibition slate. And Ashton Hagens still can't make a layup, and I don't know why, but it doesn't matter because he got the win. By the way, EJ Montgomery, who I still believe, and I might be the only one left that still believes in him, he finishes with six points and two rebounds. He struggles. Now look, Nate Sistine, I thought, played pretty well. I actually thought Nick Richards played pretty well, but you can't tell me that anyone other than Tyrese Maxey played anywhere close to his full potential. And so when you look at it like this and you say, wow, we got that win over Michigan State and and we have so much opportunity to get better, you know how good that you should feel as a fan if you're a Kentucky fan here on Wednesday morning? By the way, you know who's probably more happy about this than anybody? John Calipari. Because he can go to the film room tomorrow and pick everybody apart and say, Ashton, you got to finish at the rim. And Emmanuel, you got to take smarter shots. <laughs> you look you look like the dude from Along Came Polly, bricking shots off the back of the backboard there, man. And EJ, EJ, you got to get your head out of your you-know-what. EJ, by the way, reminding me a lot of P.J. Washington early last year when P.J. Washington was kind of just going through the motions, EJ Montgomery doing the same thing. 
But John Calipari can go to the film room tomorrow and say, man, we got a lot to get better at. But they got the win, and that's what matters. So looking at the big picture, Kentucky, I think that is great. I think you have to feel great if you're a Kentucky fan coming out of the Champions Classic with a victory. A couple other notes. Listen, like I said, I didn't think it was a a vintage virtuoso performance from uh, the rest of the team. But what I will say is this. A couple things stood out. One, I thought Nate Sestina looked pretty good. And he was a guy dating back to even the um, the scouting event. They, Kentucky has that big scouting combine early in the season. I thought Nate Sestina looked better than I was expecting. I mean, listen, he's not going to wow you. Most of these grad transfers aren't. But if you can just get from Nate Sestina what you got from him on Tuesday night, seven points, six rebounds, a couple threes, that's all you need from Nate Sestina. You don't expect him to get 20. But if he can compete like that, and this is the impressive part to me, he was playing at Bucknell last year. And I know, I know, I know, he played well in games against elite competition at Bucknell, but it was still Bucknell. And for him to step on that stage, having played in Patriot, I've been to Patriot League gyms. These look like high school gyms. He was playing in the equivalent of a high school gym a year ago. And now he's in Madison Square Garden. He's holding his own against a very good front line from Michigan State. I thought he acquitted himself well. I'll tell you this. I thought that Nick Richards acquitted himself well. Now, Nick Richards is limited. Nick Richards has some things that he can't do, but he hit a couple good jump hooks. He played with confidence. He did end up with a lot of fouls, but that's okay. He fouled out. Listen, you got five fouls. You might as well use them. And so I think that's another positive for Kentucky is that when you look at it, yes, they got out-rebounded. That is a concern. But how many front lines are you going to see like Michigan where, I'll tell you this, uh, Xavier Tillman is a really good player. And Thomas Kithier is tough as nails. And Marcus Bingham is tough as nails. And Gabe Brown can step out and hit shots. And the kid Marble is a tough player. And so... If I'm Kentucky, listen, I know this is going to be the big takeaway on Wednesday morning outside of Tyrese Maxey is that the rebounding, the issues down low, do we have enough big guys? I actually think it was a totally positive sign for Kentucky because I thought they got a lot out of Nate Sestina. I thought they got a lot out of Nick Richards. Now, they can get more. Like I said, I would say only Tyrese Maxey you really got the most out of uh, as far as guys on your roster. But I'm telling you, man. I think he got enough out of Nate Sestina, enough out of Nick Richards. If you could just get a little bit more out of EJ Montgomery, I think you're going to be okay in most games because most teams don't have the front court that Michigan State has. So those are my big picture takeaways with Kentucky. I, I just Tyrese Maxey was incredible, but I think the bigger picture is you got to feel great if you're a Kentucky fan because you're sitting here saying, man, we didn't even play that well. We just beat Michigan State. But you know what's great? When the selection committee gets together in March, they don't remember that you didn't play that well and that E.J. Montgomery struggled and that Ashton Hagens missed a couple layups. They just see that big win over Michigan State on a neutral court, and that is going to be at the top of Kentucky's resume all year. And then I also think in the bigger picture, you got to feel good about if we can do that on a neutral court, well, now we get Louisville at home. Florida's good, but I don't think Florida's Michigan State good. Who is the team in college basketball that you're like, we can't beat? I mean, maybe Louisville if Louisville was at Louisville, but it's at Rupp Arena this year. So it is a great night to be a Kentucky fan. It's a great night, I think, to be John Calipari because you can go back to the drawing board and say, guys, we got this win, but we got a lot of work to do. Obviously, you want to see more out of Ashton Hagens. You want to see more out of EJ Montgomery. But I thought it was a positive night overall. Really quick on Michigan State. I have a couple notes, but I'll be honest, I don't really have a big picture takeaway for Michigan State. I just think it was one of those nights where the shots just didn't fall. And these are the things that unfortunately, this just happens sometimes in basketball. Is I look at Michigan State, they finished five for 26 from three. Now look, a lot of that was Kentucky, but a lot of it was Michigan State just missed some very easy wide open shots. And so if you're a Michigan State fan tuning in, I'm sorry that I don't have like some bigger, better, amazing analysis for you about what went right and what went wrong and if you had done this in the pick and roll defense and if you had like I just think it comes down to your five for 26 from three you're banged up as a team your best three-point shooter Kyle Aarons was basically hobbled with an ankle injury all game long 
But I thought everything else was okay. I thought Cassius Winston was good. I wouldn't call him great. 21 points, 4 assists, 4 turnovers. Was in a little bit of foul trouble. Aaron Henry was in foul trouble early in the game, and really I think that took him out of his rhythm. Xavier Tillman was good, 7 points, 8 rebounds, but not great. When I look at this game... I just think Michigan State, it's another one where I think it's the same thing kind of with Michigan State with Kentucky. You go back to the drawing board, you say we really didn't play well. The difference is Kentucky had Tyrese Maxey, they get the win. But I think if you're Michigan State, you just kind of sit there and say, man, we had a couple of those threes, it's a completely different game. We had a couple wide open threes, it's a completely different game. And so if you're a Michigan State fan listening, I wish I had more for you, but I really don't think you should be all that concerned. I think it's just kind of one of those deals where it just wasn't your night. The shots weren't falling. And I'll say this, no disrespect to Kentucky. We got a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show. But I'm just telling you, um, if these two teams meet on a neutral court, I don't think that this game means that Kentucky can't beat Michigan or Michigan State can't beat Kentucky or Kentucky can't be better. I think, look, it's November 5th. We love having these early games. But we also saw that I don't think any of the four teams played well but Kentucky gets the win, and that's all that matters. Coming out party, Tyrese Maxey is the name that everyone in college basketball is going to be talking about come Wednesday morning. You know who they're not going to be talking about, though? The Fire Festival of College Basketball, the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, if you listened to this show last year, you remember that I called Kansas the Fire Festival of College Basketball because it all looks so good on paper. Put it on Twitter. Put it on Instagram. It looks amazing. And then you actually take the court, and Kansas was a complete disaster last year. This year was supposed to be better, but uh, I'm not going to lie. I think Bill Self had a few too many acrobatic dancers on campus with Snoop Dogg this offseason. They didn't work enough on the three-man weave and pass, dribble, shoot. They did not look good on Tuesday night as Duke beats Kansas 68-66. And listen, I'll say the same thing about Duke really quick, but I think the story is Kansas. If you're Duke, none of this matters. It doesn't matter how you got the win. It doesn't matter how ugly the win was. You got the win. And so for Duke, it's a lot like what I just said about Kentucky. It doesn't matter how it happens. You got a win that's going to look good on your resume all season long because Kansas is going to win a lot of games. They play a tough out-of-conference schedule. They still got Villanova. They play in Maui where they could potentially actually play Michigan State. Um, but Kansas is still going to win a lot of games. Uh, the Big 12 is down this year. I think outside of Baylor and Texas Tech, I don't think there's very many good teams in the Big 12. So Kansas is going to get their wins. And if you're Duke, you're just happy because you got the win. And you don't care how ugly it was and what matter. You just got the win. And I will also say this about Duke. I will give them credit because all offseason long, and if you listen to the podcast on Monday with Rob Douster, I was very critical of some of the freshmen that Duke brought in. I, I said it. Like, not only is there no Zion, I don't think there's an R.J. Barrett. I don't even know if there's a Cam Reddish. Well, I still don't know. But those kids played well. And the one thing I – listen – I know ever, whether you're a Kentucky fan, an Indiana fan, a UConn fan, a Michigan State fan, nobody likes when anyone gives Coach K credit. But I'll just say this. He is really good on these opening nights. He, he is good at having his guys ready because I don't think he had the better team on, on Tuesday night and they still got the win. And what stood out to me was that you have a, a couple freshmen that everyone's kind of sitting there saying, eh, I don't really know about this guy and uh, this guy's limited and that guy can't do this. Well, the freshmen look good to me. Cassius Stanley is a kid from L.A. I've seen him a ton. By the way, he almost ended up at UCLA. Another story for another day. But he ends up committing to Duke late. He was probably their best player. Listen, most of his plays were in the open court. Most of his plays were dunks, putbacks, uh, plays at the rim. But he made big plays. And so it's a credit to him. Matthew Hurt, who I've been very critical of, I've said it. Like, I just don't see it. 11 points, three threes. He, like Tyrese Maxey, hit a big three-pointer late. Credit to that guy. And Vernon Carey, two three-pointers for him as well. That's a guy that I kind of thought was a guy that couldn't really do much once he got outside five feet from the basket. So Duke with a nice win. Uh, I wasn't overwhelmed by their talent, but it really doesn't matter. You get the win. You get a nice win against Kansas to pad your resume going forward, and that's another one. You take it, you don't care how it happened, you don't care what it looked like, all that matters, the only thing the selection committee is going to see 
is on the piece of paper, it's going to say you beat Kansas on a neutral court. But I want to talk about Kansas here because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know if Kansas's problems are solvable. So if you watch the game, the big story was that Kansas, 27 turnovers, um, and it was a disaster. They couldn't run an offense. They couldn't run a set. And the big picture takeaway to me, the 30,000-foot picture takeaway to me, was that Devon Dotson, the sophomore point guard who returned, really good player. I really like Devon Dotson. But once you get past him, I don't know that Kansas has any other playmakers. I don't know that Kansas has anybody else that can initiate their offense. And so you don't want to do the thing where you completely overreact on night one. And, and I don't think I have. Like, I'm not saying Tyrese Maxey's going to win National Player of the Year because he had 26 against Michigan State. I'm not saying that Michigan State's going to be a seven seed because they lost to K- Kentucky on opening night. But the one thing that I will overreact on, I think Kansas could be in real trouble. And this is a team that people were talking about national championship good And I just don't see it because what I see is a team that has a really good point guard in Devon Dotson, and they don't have anybody else right now that can create for others, that can create off the dribble, that can create uh, offense. And as I was watching Kansas on Tuesday night, I was thinking back to those vintage Kansas teams from two, three, four years ago. Remember the teams that had Frank Mason and Devontae Graham? Or in 2018, when they made the Final Four, Devontae Graham and Svi Makai Luke and Malik Newman, they had all these guys that could catch, dribble, shoot, take you off the dribble, get into the lane, pass, corner, this, that. Kansas doesn't have those guys. Now, I will say one of their key players, Isaiah Moss, was out with, with an injury. But Isaiah Moss isn't even the type of guy that in the big picture is going to, you know, he's not a 20-point-a-game scorer. He's a, good, he's a good shooter. He's a good three-point shooter. But he's not a guy that's, that's going to swing a game completely the other direction. But when I look at Kansas, yes, it was only a two-point game, but 27 turnovers. And again, you only have one guy that can create offense for others. And it's not like you're just going to find another guy. Now, maybe Marcus Garrett, who's been there a while, maybe he could emerge as that guy, but he's not really that kind of guy. He's a sixth-man, seventh-man at best that's kind of been thrown into the starting lineup. Maybe add Isaiah Moss, but I just think it's one of those deals where I just think Kansas might have parts that don't really fit that well together. If you watch Kansas, they got three big guys that are all great in the post. Well, here's the problem. Nobody really plays in the post anymore. And so they got Azabuke, who's huge, but all he can do is catch and dunk. And if you follow him, he's going to miss foul shots. But if you can't even get him the ball, he's basically ineffective. And they have two other guys, David McCormick and Silvio D'Souza, the kid who was suspended, who are basically the exact same thing. They're great five feet from the basket. They can throw down a dunk. But if you get them the ball 8, 10, 12 feet from the basket, they can't do anything. And then you add Marcus Garrett. Like I said, he's fine, but you know, I like no disrespect, but I mean, I think he's he's a third, fourth year player, and he's a guy that like I don't know he would have played for Kentucky tonight, or he wouldn't have played very much. I don't know that he would have played for Michigan State tonight, or not very much. You have a couple freshmen at Kansas that that clearly just weren't ready for that stage, Jalen Wilson, and then the kid from the Netherlands. And so when I look at Kansas again, I don't want to overreact, but I have a hard time figuring out. Where are they going to get their offense from? Devon Dotson's awesome. But when he can't get into the lane, when he can't create for others, when he's off the floor, when he's not playing, there's just not that much there. And so I look at Kansas and I just wonder, do the pieces not fit? Does it? Uh, do you, can you play a lineup that doesn't involve two of the big guys? Because those big guys are all you got. Abaji's another guy, but like, I'm just saying, when I look at that Kansas team, again, I don't want to overreact, but you need more than one guy that can create offense. Say what you want about Kentucky. Ash Nagan's going to finish at the rim, but he can create offense for others. Um, you know, Emmanuel quickly can create offense for others. Michigan State has two or three guys that can create offense for others. Oh, by the way, Michigan State also has big men that can step out, that can hit threes, that can, uh, you know, that can pass. And, and, like, I just look at Kansas, and it's like, they got three guys, big guys that I hate to say it, but they're basically stiffs. Anything beyond five feet from the basket, they can't do anything. And they got one guard that can create. And so I'm not, I don't want to do the whole overreaction thing, but I'm just sitting here saying, how does Kansas fix that? I don't know. 
And that, by the way, is probably my biggest takeaway from the Champions Classic. I think both Michigan State and Kentucky are going to be fine going forward. I think Duke, it's a nice win. I still think they're probably the second, third best team in the ACC behind Louisville, who we'll get to in a second. Um, but I don't. But Kansas is the one that, like, I don't see that problem being fixed because it's not as though you have um, a guy on the bench that was hurt. Again, you have Isaiah Moss, three-point shooter. You don't have a guy that's, uh, you know, that you can get that out of. They just don't have a guy on the roster with that skill set. Ironically, you know who they actually need is R.J. Hampton, the kid that's in Australia who was going to go to Kansas. Talk about having a nice second option with R.J. Hampton if he had decided to come to college, but he's, of course, uh, overseas right now. So that's kind of my big picture takeaway from that game. Nice win for Duke, but I'm telling you, man, um, uh, this Kansas thing, this is a real thing. And I'm telling you, watch it all year long. Maybe they figure it out, but I don't know what the answer is. A couple other news and notes from around the first day of college basketball. Uh, I'll just say this, Louisville's awesome. We don't need to get too much into it, but they went on the road in ACC play. Remember, ACC is playing conference games this week for the ACC Network. Uh, by the way, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Virginia Syracuse on Wednesday. So look out for those games. But Louisville dominates Jordan War, 23 points. Samuel Williamson, 13 points off the bench. Louisville looks really good, boys. I'm just telling you, Louisville looks really good. Uh, Seton Hall, 105 points in a win. Miles Powell finishing with 27 uh, I actually, it's wild because this was kind of a closer game with the final score, but I was watching Michigan for a little while. I thought they looked really good. They ended up only winning by eight. Um, and I'll give credit also to Georgia Tech who went on the road and won at NC State. Uh, Georgia Tech is not eligible for the NCAA tournament, but they played NC State really tough. NC State was without their two, well, basically their best player in Markel Johnson and then their best big guy in DJ Funderburk who was injured. So those were kind of some of the things that stood out. We have plenty of time to overreact to this. Okay, I want to react, well, I, want to, I do want to react to one final thing. That's the news that broke right before the Champions Classic, which was Cade Cunningham, the number two high school prospect in America, committing to Oklahoma State. Okay, and Cade Cunningham, I know everybody knows the deal. Real quick, I'll just be, make it very, very brief. Kate Cunningham, number two prospect in America. Basically, his brother gets hired by Oklahoma State about mid-May, late May, and it becomes apparent that everybody's playing catch-up. But the thing was, North Carolina, Kentucky, both continued to recruit him, and for at times it seemed as though they were in the mix. And the, the reports were, and from all the great recruiting writers, and I'm not criticizing any of them, all the recruiting writers said that Cade Cunningham, coming out of his camp, said, I want to be recruited. I want to consider other schools. Even though Oklahoma State, listen, we get it. My brother coaches there. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to get me to commit to your school. But keep me in mind, I want to be recruited. And so obviously the big buzz was that over the last probably two months, Kentucky really made a push. And there was real buzz coming out of his official visit to Kentucky, which of course was during Big Blue Madness, that he was seriously considering Kentucky. Evan Daniels, good friend of mine, actually put in a crystal ball prediction for Cade Cunningham to Kentucky. To be clear, this is not me criticizing Evan at all. Evan has better information than maybe anybody in college basketball. When he put in that crystal ball, he had a real reason to believe that Cade Cunningham was going to Kentucky. But I'll tell you personally, and again, I'm not criticizing anybody who reported that because Evan was certainly not the only one. Jerry Meyer was. There was a couple other people. I'll just tell you, I, I just I never really bought it, and I'll give you two reasons why. The first reason is, listen, everybody is always excited after an official visit. It, it's what happens. When you go on an official visit, that school puts their best foot forward. And so when you go to a place like Kentucky and you're the number two high school player in America – they're going to roll out the red carpet for you. And they did, and people were chanting his name, and there's 20,000 people in Rupp Arena. And Cade Cunningham sitting there saying, man, I could see myself playing here and coming down the rafters and 24,000 people screaming my name. And so, of course, he was fired up. Everybody would be fired up. But then what happens, it always happens in recruiting, is you take a step back. It's two, three, four weeks later, and whatever happens, the 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 – the excitement wears off, the allure wears off, and you're back to, am I really going to choose that place over the place that employs my brother? 
And here's the second part. This was the part, and this is what I told you guys from the beginning. And I'm not claiming to have better information than the recruiting writers. The recruiting writers are incredible at what they do. They bust their butts. But what marked the end of the Cade Cunningham, what I, this is when I never thought that Cade Cunningham was coming to Kentucky. This is the moment. When Devin Askew, the high school point guard, committed to the University of Kentucky. So backtrack, Cade Cunningham, if you've never seen him play, he's kind of a big, strong, athletic uh, guard. He's 6'7", but he handles the ball. He initiates the offense. And so Kentucky took a commitment from a class of 2021, a high school junior named Devin Askew. Now, a lot of people would say, well, Devin Askew's a high school junior. This kid's a high school senior. He's a one and done. Why does it matter? Well, it's because Devin Askew is projected by virtually everyone to eventually reclassify. And I said it at the time, you don't commit at the beginning of your junior year if you're not planning to reclassify and enroll in college next year. It just doesn't make sense. There's no reason to commit that early when you're that high profile. Because if you're that good and Devin Askew is that good, it means that you are being recruited by everybody, that there will always be a roster spot for you, that there will always be something available for you. And so you don't need to commit at the beginning of your junior year. You're not a fringe top 100 prospect that gets offered and you want to seal up your spot and get your spot when you can. It's not how it works. You got options, and so you don't need to rush into something early in your junior year unless you're planning on reclassifying. And so once he committed, he's a point guard. Cade Cunningham's a point guard. And I said, unless Devin Askew really is going to stay in high school for two more years, which I don't think he will, it doesn't really make sense for Devin Askew to commit to Kentucky. And I know there were reports, a lot of good reporters reporting this. Again, I'm not criticizing, but saying that Devin Askew and Cade Cunningham can play together. I don't buy it. Devin Askew's trying to get to the pros. He's not trying to go somewhere where he's a point guard and he's got to play behind a point guard that's just as good, if not better, or he's got to play with him, or he's got to play off the ball. He wants the ball in his hands. That's why he chose Kentucky. He knows that our boy Tyrese Maxey, who we just talked about, is going to be in the NBA next year, and there is going to be a spot for him to run the offense. And so I never bought the idea. The second that Devin Askew committed, I just said, it's just too many guys. It doesn't make sense. And so Cade Cunningham ends up committing to Oklahoma State. Now, I will say, listen, let's give Oklahoma State a little bit of credit here, too. One, they they hired his brother. I get it. But they've also been on Cade Cunningham since he was in ninth grade. They were the first one to offer him. They have the longest relationship. And I'll just say this. It's a bummer he's not going to Kentucky or North Carolina, one of these teams that he's going to be on TV every single game. But I'll also tell you, this kid is special. And a lot of people came after me because I said, listen, I think he is good enough to potentially win National Player of the Year next year. And everyone said, oh, you can't win it in a place like Oklahoma State. Why not? Trey Young basically won it two years ago at Oklahoma. They went 18-14. and 14. I think Cade Cunningham's that good. I think he could be that good in college next year. Um, and I just think that, that he's a special kid. Uh, I'm not surprised that he did not end up at Kentucky. I just think once his brother got to Oklahoma State, it was always an uphill battle. And I think that if you can't get him secured, if you can't get him committed and you know out in the public when he's on campus, it's going to be really hard when he gets back home, when he's with his family, when he knows his brother's job is on the line. And so that's how it went down. So <laughs> I don't know how I did all that, but uh, I was going to do 10 minutes on each game and five minutes on Cade Cunningham. Here we are, 35 minutes in. We're going to get to Nate Oates in a minute. That's basically all I have to say about the game's incredible opening night of College Hoops. I want to remind everybody, and I'll remind you at the end too, because after Nate Oates, we're going to talk college football, but please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Some of you coming in from a new feed. If you're already subscribed, that's great. If you're already subscribed, don't even worry about it. Ignore this. But if you're not, make sure you're subscribed, rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Talking college hoops now. It's college hoop season. We ain't going anywhere, baby. You know, we're like bad boys, you know, like the bad boys, bad boys for life, right? P. Diddy. We ain't going nowhere. We're talking college hoops now for the next six months into March, into April. Make sure you're subscribed. The Aaron Torres Podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Make, there, make sure you're following us there. Also, if you have any questions, if you're going to Vegas, let me know. Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. And it is about that time to get to Nate Oates, Alabama new head basketball coach. A reminder, unfortunately, I did record 
last week before Alabama season opener. They ended up losing. It's not ideal. I still think it's a good interview. I still think you'll enjoy it. So check this out as we get set to bring on Nate Oates, the head coach of the University of Alabama basketball program. But before we get to Nate Oates, I do want to welcome back one of our favorite sponsors, Blue Chew, the chewable alternative to Viagra and Cialis. Fellas, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The good news is now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. I'm, of course, talking about our old friends at Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. I told you about Blue Chew in the summer and again earlier this fall, and they are back. Blue Chew, as I mentioned, the chewable alternative to Viagra or Cialis with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as those competitors, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as an actual pill, so you will be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Listen, fellas, I told you, I got married this summer. I don't want to give away too many secrets from our honeymoon, but let's just say I had a memorable honeymoon. And I'm not just talking about the beaches of Hawaii. I'm talking about some other stuff that happened, maybe when the sun set, when the lights were down. And I'm not going to lie, maybe a little bit of Blue Chew is involved. I can't really say, listen, I don't tell secrets from my personal life, but I love Blue Chew. And again, here is how it works if you want a little bit for yourself. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so there's no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, there's no more awkwardness. They're made right in here in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners, listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Visit BlueChew.com and use promo code TORRES and get your first shipment free. All you got to do is pay that $5 shipping and handling fee. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code TORRES to try it for free. And if you like it, and more importantly, if your lady likes it, and I think she's going to, again, not going to talk about my honeymoon, but it was a good honeymoon. That's all I'm going to say. Maybe you go back for more. Again, Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we want to thank them for sponsoring the podcast. BlueChew.com. Use the promo code TORRES to get your first shipment free, and you just pay the $5 shipping and handling. Blue Chew, we want to thank them again for being our sponsors. And now, time for Alabama head coach, Nate Oates. All right, and joining me on the phone now, uh, a gentleman that I've been wanting a long time to get on this show. He is, I guess you would say, the new head coach at Alabama, but he's been there about six months. Nate Oates is on the phone. My man, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing really well, Coach. First of all, should I still be calling you new head coach, Nate Oates, or are you just Coach Oates? I mean, where are we at now? I'm, yeah. I think I'm still new. I haven't coached a game yet here, so I'm probably still new, so. You know, we got our first one Tuesday against Penn. That, after that, maybe I won't be the new one anymore. I don't, I don't know, but probably new compared to the rest of the coaches in our league. Fantastic. Uh, it is obviously a really busy week in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I guess I should just get this off the way, uh, out of the way off the top. We're all focused on your game, your opener on Tuesday. Do you have an update status on Tua Tonga Viola? Because that's all uh, everyone seems to be asking me, and I thought maybe you'd know. I went over to football to see what I could get because I think that might be the most valuable piece of information <laughs> on the campus at Alabama. Now I, I have to say I don't have any more info for you though, so I'm gonna let's let's figure out what Saban's saying and give the pet uh, pet reply. Is uh, I don't know what the pet reply is, but that's gonna be my reply to the uh, question. Yeah, it's just just don't you know? I I understand you got to keep things in house. I was gonna say don't you know? The, he gets very passionate sometimes uh, when when guys like me ask the wrong question. So I appreciate you uh, handling things delicately. I would ask real quick. You know, you've been there like six months or whatever. You know, about that time now. Um, and I've seen, you know, guys that you're recruiting, I know you can't really talk about specifics, but I've seen them take pictures with Coach Saban and all that stuff. I mean, have you gotten a chance to really spend time around him, at least on a surface level, get to know him? Because I imagine a guy, really anyone, would uh, get value out of meeting with Coach Saban, but I feel like especially a guy like you leading young men, being a college coach and everything. Yeah, no, Coach Saban's been uh, great. We we have taken most of our recruits by to see him. They've been real generous with his time. I personally, myself, have gone over there, watched a lot of practices, and I'm just in their program before before the classes actually. So once classes started, we could start workouts. I haven't spent that much time over there, but I, I shared with them for a day. I went to some other 
Texas. I went on their first road trip to Atlanta just to kind of see how they do everything. They eat. He's been great. I've won quite a bit since I've been here, and he's, he's favorite the troops when they come on campus as well. So really dumb question. Um, in the time that you've spent with him, you know, something that I think fascinates people behind, you know, outside those four walls, uh, you know, at the Mal Moore Center is the consistency that they have had success. I mean, in your limited time with him, what do you attribute to the fact? Because he obviously recruits at a high level. He, uh, you know, he's a great evaluator. He's a great developer of talent. But there's a lot of people in basketball that are that are the, or football, excuse me, that are the same. I mean, what is it in spending time with him that you've learned that makes him such a, a different guy in terms of coaching X's and O's and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you hit on a few of them. Like their, their talent level is really high and. They, they recruited at a high level, but you know, if you if you don't coach the guys you have currently at a really high level, it's going to be hard to recruit. So back when he took over here, his second year, I believe they went to the national championship and mm-hmm. won it. Like now, now it's easier to recruit to. I think I think the reason they win so much is just his attention to detail mm-hmm. with everything, and I mean everything is off the charts. I mean, like I, I went through, sat in plenty of meetings with him. He's actually coaching the D-backs every single day, breaking down the video with them, going through it detail by detail, his attention to detail with the whole team. I mean, I went to walk through with them. They, they go through so many different possible scenarios of what may happen in a game. That I don't think there's anything that could ever come up in a game that they haven't talked through as a staff, went through with the team. I just think they're really well prepared. I mean, he does a great job getting them ready to be pros. I mean, you look at how many pros came from Alabama. So once you get once you get a rolling at the level he's got it, and then you can recruit even better players, which they've been able to do. And then you just, I mean, it's like a snowball that's rolling downhill at a pretty high, high level, in my opinion. Fantastic. I could talk to you all day about that kind of stuff, but I want to obviously talk about your team as you referenced opener Tuesday night against Penn. Um, you know, we've kind of joked about it a few times. You've been there now about six months or so. Uh, what has it been like, and, and how good does it just feel? Because there's a lot of talk in the off season. You got to do a lot of interviews like this. You're getting to know the players. The players are getting to know you. You now have some exhibition games under your belt, and we're now just a couple uh, days or so away from actually tipping off this season. Yeah, I think our guys are getting used to the system. You know, playing faster, and they'll just keep getting better and better at the more we do. But they're playing hard. There's still a lot of sloppiness involved, you know, and when you take a team that's used to playing somewhat slow and speed everything up for them, they tend to turn it over a little bit more, which is what's happening, but we, we anticipated that. We just keep encouraging them to play the pace we want them to play at. Their effort on defense getting a lot better. I think they see that the system works when, you know, when you play with max effort, which is what we're trying to get them to do, and I think they are. I think their attitudes are in a pretty good spot right now, so I'm I'm happy with where we're at going into the game Tuesday. I think we've got our work cut out. Though Penn's a really good team on Tuesday, and where it's going to be, it's a really tough. I probably should have scheduled uh, a lot lesser of a team for my first game here at uh, at Alabama, but we didn't. So we we got our hands full trying to prepare for Penn right now. Fantastic. Uh, you know, one thing you mentioned was effort and intensity and all those kind of things. One thing you were kind of really known for at Buffalo was the way that your team played was very blue collar. You and your staff literally wore uh, shirts with blue collars on them uh, in the pregame. Is that something um, that you can ins- – is it a, a, a mindset, I guess I would say? Can you instill that over the course of an offseason? And if so, uh, how close are you are your guys uh, to getting to play the way that you want them to for a full 40 minutes? They're coming around. Uh, you know, we've – we still give out the hard hat after the game. We okay. haven't bought the uh, mechanics blue collar type shirts uh, down here yet. They were but, classic, man. You got to get them. Yeah, they're uh, they sold them all over Buffalo there when we get that thing rolling. But we haven't we haven't gone to that year here. We got the hard hat we give out uh, for the blue collar points at the end of the games. And Herb Jones won it, uh, you know, against our first game against Georgia Tech in that exhibition. But our guys are buying in. I mean, they. You got guys willing to take charges. I think a lot of people commented on how how much our guys hit the floor for loose balls, how, how many charges they were willing to take, how they're crashing the boards and getting hands on rebounds and loose balls and deflections. So it's coming. You got a long ways to go, but it is coming. I, I see it coming. 
one of the things that kind of stood out through the offseason was just this idea that uh, there were a lot of players kind of coming in when you arrived that had options, whether it was transfer, whether it was potentially testing the NBA draft waters. And for the most part, you know, a lot of them came back. Kyra Lewis, John Petty, you brought in a couple of transfers yourself and Beto Bolden. What does that say about the group of guys that, that the fact that it feels like when a coaching change happens, it'd be easy to walk out that door and start over. But I feel like it, it speaks a lot to those kids and, and maybe the fact that they would be willing to buy in the fact that, as I said, the good majority of them decided to stay. Yeah, I think they like, you know, when we sat out and explained to them how we were going to play, I think most kids like to play the way we play. So I think that that obviously helped. I think it also helped that we're at the University of Alabama. These kids want to be at Alabama. So, you know, you just had to convince them that it was right for their career to stay here at Alabama. You know, Kyra's an Alabama kid. Petty's an Alabama kid. Like the Alabama brand in the state of Alabama, the Alabama brand in the entire U.S. is huge, but particularly right here in the state of Alabama is really big, and those kids, you know, they're all Roll Tide fans, so I think a combination of a lot of things, they come, both of them come from good families, and the guys that we got to stay, and I think they're bought in, and and we're, we're looking forward to having a pretty good year. I think we got enough talent to really make some noise this year. Yeah, and, and I would ask uh, Kyra Lewis specifically. I mean, he's a guy that I think a lot of people do believe that uh, can play at the next level. Uh, what, what have you seen out of him this offseason? What could fans expect? Because, listen, it's been super well documented, the youngest player in the SEC last year, one of the youngest players in college basketball. Uh, and I feel like getting that year under his belt at 17 years old is going to pay dividends. Yeah, I think definitely helped. I mean, he's on all kinds of NBA. We had a couple NBA scouts in today. seems like about every practice we got – you know, one or two NBA scouts in looking at whether it's him or her or Petty, you know, or, or anybody. We got, you know, we even got a few freshmen. Shackleford's been playing really well, and people have been asking about him. But I think, you know, him coming early, getting that first year of Division One basketball under his belt when really should have still been in high school is big. So now, you know, everybody sees him as, Sophomore, he is. He's going into his second year SEC basketball. He had a great freshman year. He's only he just turned eighteen years old, yeah. so that's huge. With the NBA teams, the upside, you know, they draft on potential and they see how what his upside is being only eighteen years old. So hopefully, he can continue to play and progress like he showed he could his freshman year. And I think he have a great sophomore year, and we can we can help him become a pro in the future. All right, last couple questions. We'll get you out of here. You're a busy man. Um, first one is just. The SEC in general, I mean, it's it's been well-documented this offseason, but you, uh, Eric Musselman, who's been on this show several times, Buzz Williams, Jerry Stackhouse, joining an already elite group of coaches, Rick Barnes, John Calipari, Frank Martin, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, I, I don't want to sit here and say that, do you ever just sit back and – because, like, when the schedule comes out, like, you know, in most conferences you could sit there and say, okay, maybe here's a win, here's a little stretch where we can get hot. Do you ever just sit there and say – Man, I got to go against a lot of really good coaches night in and night out in this league. Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at it, I think there's six coaches in this league that have coached in the Final Four. Yep. So, you know, there's only 13 other coaches besides me. So <laughs> half the coaches I got to face have coached in the Final Four. So that's, <laughs> yep. that's not, there's not too many easy outs there. And, you know, Jerry Stackhouse did a great job in the uh, G League and Buzz Williams. You know, if you look at the guys that didn't coach in the Final Four, yeah. those guys are really good too. So, you know, I yeah, we got a handful every night out here. I, I we, we if, if you're not on top of your A game, you're going to lose when you're out. Players got to be on top of their game. Coaches got to be on top of their game. We we got a handful this year for sure. Fantastic, and that's kind of the last question I'll let you go. I mean, it, it seems like you're excited about your team. You're obviously ready to get games going. Uh, I know you never put kind of a win-loss record on on season one here in Tuscaloosa, but just, you know, what are your expectations of this team? Obviously, a fan listening, what should they expect night in and night out, not just uh, November 5th against Penn, but really over these next five months or so? You know what, I, and I agree, I don't want to put a you know, we're going to win X number of games or we're going to be disappointed if we don't win X number of games. I just want to be the hardest playing team on the floor every night we go out there. And then we just need to get better every game at all the little stuff. So if we do that, I think all the wins and losses take care of themselves. But I'll say this, I'm going to be really disappointed if we're not playing in the NCAA tournament come March. I just think that we've got enough talent and if we do what we're supposed to, 
and stay injury-free. You know, we've already got two kids out with ACLs for the year. If we can stay injury-free with the, the remaining group now and do what I think we should do, we should be playing in the NCAA tournament. Once you get in the tournament, I think we got enough talent. Like, we can make some noise. And We've been playing our best basketball every year. I was at Buffalo. We were playing our best basketball come into February and March. If we can be doing that here, you know, there's no telling, you know, who, who you'd get lined up with. You'd get the favorable matchup. You can win it win a game or two or, or even more in the NCAA tournament. So that that's going to be what I think we can do. But, again, a lot of that's going to be determined over the next three months. So we got a lot of work to do, and we're, we're willing to do the work. I like the confidence. I like the honesty. Uh, coach Nate Oates, head coach of the University of Alabama. Again, I know you're a busy man here. We're just a couple of days before the start of the season. My man, I, I really appreciate the time, uh, and hopefully we can catch up somewhere along the way. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Have a good day, man. All right, so I want to thank Nate Oates. He was awesome. And again, I apologize uh, because, listen, I, you can't imagine when he set up an interview like that that uh, you know Alabama is going to lose their first game of the season, but it happens. It's part of life. I still believe in Nate Oates. I still believe that that is a guy that is going to get things rolling at Alabama, and I do appreciate his time. I thought it was a very interesting interview talking a little bit of Alabama football, talking about his relationship with Nick Saban, and talking about his 2018 or 2019-2020 team. I'm telling you, give them time. They will be good. Speaking of Bama, speaking of football, I did really quickly just want to talk about the games this weekend since this will be the last episode of the week. And of course, the big story in college football, listen, we had college basketball, we had two great games, but in college football, uh, the first college football playoff rankings were released. Ohio State number one, LSU number two, Bama number three, Penn State number four, Clemson number five, Georgia six, Oregon seven. And so listen, what happens, right? Those rankings come out, everybody freaks out. How can LSU not be number one? They beat Auburn, they beat Florida, they beat Texas and Ohio State. Who have they played and why is Clemson behind Penn State? And it's like, guys, we've been through this. This is year six of the playoff. Please do not overreact to the college football playoff rankings. First of all, I think they got everything right. I think Ohio State should be number one. I know they don't quite have the resume of LSU, but first of all, LSU's best wins, I don't know that they're looking so good right now. Auburn has a couple losses already, okay? Texas is a three-loss team. Florida is just lost to Georgia. Auburn could be a four-loss team. So LSU's wins don't look quite as good. And Ohio State's beating everybody by 24 or more points. They are a worthy number one team. They pass the eye test as the best team in the country, even if the resume doesn't back it up. And I'll tell you this, if LSU beats Bama this weekend... LSU is going to be the number one team next week, so relax. And it's the same thing with Penn State and Clemson. Clemson does not have a better resume than Penn State right now. Penn State has a win at Iowa. Penn State beat Michigan. And so Penn State deserves the number five spot, okay? Or number four spot. But guess what? Penn State plays Ohio State in a couple weeks. The loser of that game will fall behind Clemson. So it doesn't matter that Clemson is number five right now because eventually, if Clemson keeps winning... And those teams keep losing. Clemson's going to move up. Clemson's actually in pretty good shape to end up as, at worst, the three seed. Because they are now behind two teams in the Big Ten and two teams in the SEC that are going to play each other. So again, Ohio State's one. LSU is two. Alabama's three. Penn State four. Clemson five. Do not freak out about this stuff. A couple other notes. I thought it was kind of interesting. The Pac-12 teams, Oregon and Utah, I talked about them. They're 7-8. and eight. They're behind three SEC teams right now, so they need some kind of upset somewhere along the way to jump those teams. But again, let's not overreact. This stuff plays itself out. Oklahoma, number eight, they're in the same boat. Listen, if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma beats Baylor twice, I feel pretty confident that if they go 12-1, and one, beat Baylor twice, they will be in the playoffs. So let's not overreact. I do want to talk about the games really quick. Guys, I don't really have a, a lot to say other than Listen, the first game, LSU, or excuse me, Alabama is about a touchdown favorite. And I'll be honest, I kind of like Alabama as close to a touchdown favorite. First of all, they're at home. LSU, basically their, their biggest games have mostly been at LSU this year. They did go to Texas, but let's be honest, 
Texas isn't good. Texas is five and three right now. LSU barely held on to beat them. And so when you factor that in with the fact that they've been at home for their other big games against Florida, against Auburn, this is their first real big road test against a potentially elite team. And so I think, listen, I don't think Vegas puts out the number of Bama by seven if they don't think that Tua Tonga-Viola is going to play. So assuming Tonga Tua is going to play, I don't have a problem with that line. I also think I'll probably take Bama. Let's just get into it. I'm going to take Bama, even though it's by a touchdown. One, listen, this Joe Burrow thing has been awesome. But outside of Florida, they haven't really played any good defenses where LSU has moved the ball. They struggled against Auburn. And then the rest of the defense they played, Mississippi State, not very good. Um, uh, who else have they played? Texas, not very good. They've played a bunch of uh, you know smaller schools outside of that. Utah State, you go on and on and on down the list. And so I look at this this LSU team. It's impressive. They they crushed Vanderbilt, but they're not playing the elite of the elite. I think Bama is right up there with Florida, right up there with uh, Auburn as the best defenses they played, and they struggled against Auburn. I'd also say Joe Burrow was the quarterback last year. LSU lost twenty nine to nothing at home. So I know we want to gas up Joe Burrow and oh he's the greatest and it's so incredible and he's a Heisman. It's like yeah. He lost to this same team 29-0 at home last year. Now he's going on the road. I assume two was healthy. And listen, here's the other factor. Bama is basically unbeatable when Nick Saban has more than one week to prepare for a team. He hasn't lost off of a bye since 2011 when they lost to LSU in the famous 9-6 game. And then you talk about recent bowl games. Listen, last, what, four years? Alabama's played in the national championship, three against Clemson, two when Clemson had Deshaun Watson, one last year, and then once against Georgia. So when he has a month to prepare for a bowl game, he's basically lights out, and he hasn't lost off of a bye since 2011. And so I look at that, and I just say, listen, I know we want the new story. I love Coach O. No one has been more pro-Coach O in the media than I have. But I look at the situation, I just say, listen, I love Coach O. But I'm going to believe that dude beats Nick Saban when Nick Saban has a full week to prepare, when Nick Saban's at home, when Nick Saban has a semi-healthy Tua Tonga Viola. I am going to believe that that's going to happen when I see it. So I'm going to take Bama in that game because, again, I just trust Nick Saban. I trust Tua. I trust the fact that they're at home. The other big game is this weekend, and I'm not going to spend too much time previewing these games because, listen, man, we're still about five days away, but unfortunately, I just wanted to get all this stuff in uh, before this episode aired. The other big game is Penn State at Minnesota, and Minnesota is about a touchdown underdog at home, and I'm just going to tell you this. I think Minnesota covers as a touchdown underdog. I think they could potentially win this game, and I'll tell you why. Minnesota, listen, P.J. Fleck is awesome. People want to crap on P.J. Fleck because, oh, row the boat and all the stuff that he does. Listen, P.J. Fleck is basically everything that the media wants Scott Frost to be. Everyone wants Scott Frost to be the young, up-and-coming coach that's going to lead his team to all these championships. And it's like, but P.J. Fleck's the guy that's actually doing it. P.J. Fleck's awesome. He's got Minnesota at 8-0. And I've watched them a bunch this year. And the one thing that I will give Minnesota credit for they know who they are. And what I mean by that is this. You're in Minnesota. You don't have the speed and athleticism of Ohio State or LSU or Florida or Georgia or Alabama. They don't have it. So what do they do? They have a huge offensive line and they just run the ball right at you. And they try to control the clock and they try to keep you off the field and they try to win games ugly and play good defense. And, and like I said, they control time of possession they keep you off the field, and they make you beat them in the trenches, and they're really good at that. And so I look at Penn State, and I like Penn State. They've exceeded my expectations. But you look at Penn State, come on now. Got outplayed over the final three quarters against Michigan. Could have lost against Pitt back in week two. Penn State's really good, but they're not invincible. And so I think when you're going to Minnesota, it's going to be the biggest game in Minnesota basically the last, like, I'm not even kidding, like 60 years, it's basically the, the biggest game at Minnesota in like 60 years. 
It's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy. And nobody deals with the cold better than Minnesota. And so I think this, this game, because it's a home game for Minnesota, because it's in weather conditions that favor Minnesota, and because I think Minnesota plays a style in which they're going to keep Penn State off the field, I like Minnesota to cover potentially pull the upset, which then creates chaos in college football because if Penn State loses, you'll have two of the top four teams in the standings lose uh, because Penn State would obviously lose and then Alabama or LSU would lose. So those are the two big games, and I think that's enough for tonight's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is about 1.30 a.m. Eastern time as I wrap here, 10.30 Pacific time. I want to thank all you guys for listening also want to thank Nate Oates for joining me. Nate Oates was awesome. Again, I appreciate his time. I appreciate all you guys listening to today's show. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise. If you, I should have mentioned it, but if you have an Android, make sure it's Pod, Pod, Podcast Addict, okay? Uh, also, rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Instagram. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you have any questions, also, if you're going to Vegas for the CBS Sports Classic, please let me know. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I wish I could have gotten you more football, but it's Tuesday night. And unfortunately, there's so much more. Maybe I'll do a Periscope or something like that. Uh, But I will post my picks on Instagram Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere like that. All right. I think that's enough for tonight's show. I appreciate you guys listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you had fun. Champions Classic is over. I am talking college hoops all year long, so get used to it. Shout out to Torrent Craig. I'm out. I'll be back next week.